Welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we make sure you know there's more going on than you can see or hear. If this podcast episode helps you, would you consider leaving us a review on the app or platform you're using to listen? We appreciate it. And remember, we ain't woke, but we are certainly awake. And now, your host, Larry Ragland. In the quiet town of Bethlehem, a story unfolded that would change the course of history. Take just a moment to think about an event so huge that they started counting time over. All characters in that nativity scene, just ordinary people, no one famous, until you bring the baby Jesus in the picture and it all changed. Why did God choose them? Why did God choose that place in that time? Was this a part of the plan from the very beginning? Do we see this story in the Garden of Eden? Did Jesus have any of Mary's blood? If not, where did his blood come from? That's just a few of the things that we're going to get into tonight on Bible Study Live. Make sure you share this. Let's do it. All right, everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome into Bible Study Live. Yes, we are live in the studio on the last Wednesday night before Merry Christmas. I wish you a Merry Christmas. I wish you a Merry Christmas. I wish you a Merry Christmas and a blessed, blessed and highly favored new year. You're going to need it in 24. If you haven't already hit that like button, go ahead and smash it, smash it, smash it right now. Get it out of the way so you can just enjoy the rest of the teaching. And anytime you hear me say smash the like button, you can just say, eh, I already done that. And if you had not subscribed, go ahead and subscribe. That is going to help us tremendously in the glorious algorithm. If you're watching us on Facebook, make sure that you enjoy tonight. Comment, give us some hearts, give us some love there on Facebook. But then at the conclusion of this teaching, if you haven't already, subscribe to our YouTube channel because this is the only thing that we in regular form put on Facebook. And also, if you're watching us on Rumble, thank you, thank you, thank you to our Rumble family. We love you. If you don't follow us on Rumble, go to rumble.com slash Larry Raglan. We are live tonight on Rumble as well. Well, let's get into it tonight, y'all. In 1996, um, and that's a long time ago, y'all, but in 1996, we were in a little small church building. It was actually an old hay barn. We call it the Hay Barn Church. If you've read my book, I See Greatness in You, you know that, you know, that's part of the, one of the stories that I tell in there about the hay barn. Well, I was in my little cubbyhole office there in the back in the old hay barn, and it was around Christmas time. And I sit down at this very archaic computer at this time, one of the original uh, computers that started going mass on the market. I was a tech guy from the beginning. But I was back there, you know, just working on messages and studying and I was thinking about Christmas, and I was thinking about my wife had put a little nativity set inside my office there, and I was just sort of staring at the nativity. I had just got through preaching about Joseph. Uh, I've always preached about Joseph, as, as you have probably seen on this channel if you're regular. Uh, if you're new to our channel tonight, go back and watch that teaching from a couple of weeks ago on Joseph. And I was staring at the nativity, and I was thinking about Christmas, and uh, so I, I thought, oh, I'm just going to go back and thank you for that super chat, by the way. Uh, Leela, thank you so much right off the bat. What a blessing. And, um, so I started looking at it 
at the nativity. And I thought, well, I'm going to go to the Christmas story, Luke chapter two. So I start reading Luke chapter two. And I'm just always been a, a person that likes to uh, study the uh, original Hebrew and Greek. And I started looking at some key words there that seem self-explanatory. And I got to a part of the story where it says at the very end when Jesus was born, it said, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a, I'm, I'm preaching Acts chapter two. And suddenly there appeared unto them a host of heavenly angels, a host of heavenly angels saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. We know that we've heard that all our life. It's a part of the Christmas play. Usually the children do their little uh, dramas and their nativity reenactments. And then you've got the little sweet little angels Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. I sound like Mr. Bill. And I'm, yes, I'm dating myself. Most of you don't even know who Mr. Bill is. Uh, that's okay. It's okay. You're not old like me. But uh, when, I, when I saw that, I read Heavenly Host. I looked up the word host, and I was shocked, y'all. It changed Christmas forever for me. And I noticed that the word host is the word stratia in the original Hebrew, and that is where we get our word strategy, and that is a war term. And when you look it up and you and you roll out the definition, you see that it actually was a battalion of military personnel. So when I realized that, because all the images that I had ever seen of the nativity and that part of the angels, you know, there would be the nativity, the manger scene, the beautiful... Uh, white flowing gown, angels, hair blowing in the wind, and this beautiful choir in heaven. I realized it wasn't a choir. I realized that it was soldiers singing. So I sit down, I start typing, my fingers are almost smoking. And in 1996, by the time I stopped typing, I had typed a short story called The War in Bethlehem. I had never thought it before. I had never planned it before. And when it came out, of me and I read it, I was like, oh my God, this is, this is incredible. This is, this is blessing me. This is straight from you, God. This is nothing that I had never heard before. And uh, so I posted it out on the very archaic things. If you'll remember the, um, the bulletin boards and things like that back in those days in 1996, if you're old enough to remember that, the dial-up modem days. And I started getting responses from people in Russia uh, somebody living in an island in Bornholm Island. He may be watching tonight. He's still a friend of mine from Denmark. And they read the war in Bethlehem and it blessed them so much. They started asking me, could they translate it in their native language and begin to hand it out annually at Christmas as a tract, as a, as a gospel tract. And I was just, of course, I was just enamored. I just couldn't believe it. And, uh, and especially when I got the right, the, the response back that, it had been turned into a mini book and had been given out, listen to this, in Red Square in Moscow, somewhere around 97, 98, something like that, translated in Russian. So somewhere out there in Russia, there's probably still little copies of the war in Bethlehem in the Russian dialect. It was tra translated into Dutch. It was translated into Spanish, many other languages. And uh, so... I never did anything with it. It was the first thing I'd ever wrote before. And it was really the beginning of me knowing that God had called me to write something. But every year I like to teach it. And at the end of this teaching tonight, if you'll stay with me, I'm not going to read all of it because I'm going to give you a link where you can go and read the whole thing for free yourself. 
uh, and it will also be in the comment section below, but I'll put it up on the screen. But I am going to conclude this teaching tonight because it's going to get some deep stuff tonight, y'all. We're going to get some deep, deep stuff. But at the conclusion of this teaching, I'm going to read the last few paragraphs without trying not to cry because every time I've ever read them publicly, it wrecks me. Okay, so let's get into the Word of God tonight. And like I said, if you have not already smashed that like button, do it now. Smash that like button, smash that like button, smash that like button, and subscribe. <coughs> and yeah, I'm still battling just a little bit of this uh, throat thing, so pray for me tonight. Now, uh, let's just start with this scripture right here. It's found in John chapter 1. It's very, very familiar to most people. And, it's, and it goes like this. It says, um, And the word of God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only, forgot, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now I'm to read this again. And the word became flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Now why is that important? That is important because... We understand that flesh is our body, and that's what the story of Christmas is all about. It's not about a creation of God. God does not have a creator. God is eternal. He has always existed. He, in fact, I'll say it this way. He's, he doesn't exist. He is existence. Okay? We all have a beginning. We all have an end date. There is no beginning, and there is no end date to Jesus. The Word of God, the Word of God, the, the part of the Godhead. But the body of Jesus was, I guess you would say, brought into this world, not created, but planted, if you will, as a seed into this world, into a human body. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The birth of Jesus Christ, the story of Christmas, is not a thought-up concept. It is, it is, in fact, it's so strange of a story about how God would want to save mankind. I think that in itself would make it very easy for people to realize that, that this is not a story that somebody could make up. You know, if somebody wanted to make it up, you know, look at all the mythology and all the other things that happen. None of them have this in common. None of them have that God would submit himself to the, to the limitations of his own creation. Uh, in fact, also, Christmas is not a response, an immediate response by God to say, uh-oh, this thing didn't work out the, what we, the way we thought it was going to work out, so i got to go down there and save them. I want you to know that the story of, of Christmas has been a part of it all. In fact, it was not just a part of it all from creation. It was a part of it before creation ever even happened. You know, we know the Garden of Eden. We know the, the six days of creation that is listed in the, in the book of Genesis. We know that when man fell and, and the curse came forth from God and he spoke the things that he spoke about childbirth to, Mary, I mean, to, to, to Eve and he spoke the things about tilling the ground to Adam, then he spoke to the serpent. And look at what he says to the serpent. He says, and I will put, Genesis 3.15, enmity between you and the woman, 
and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. So we know that there was a prophecy given in the garden regarding the seed that would come into a woman and the woman would bring forth a child that the serpent would inject its poison in, into, strike at his heel, and it would bruise his heel, the evidence of the blood in, in, the, the, turning as if I've put my poison into this seed and it's killed this person. But what he didn't realize and what God was saying to him is the very fact that you bite him and you inject your poison of sin into him, there will be, when it touches his blood, it will, you will think that you have poisoned his blood. In fact, his blood will crush your head. This was prophesied in the garden. It was prophesied multiple times through scripture. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Listen to all these prophecies about Christmas. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, I'm going to show you in just a minute a bunch of scriptures that's going to blow your mind that only God could have fulfilled. But see, you got to understand why it had to happen this way. It may be strange to us, but it was not strange to God. See, if we pay close attention to a couple of conversations in the garden, we will understand why exactly it had to happen precisely this way. One of my favorite scriptures, you'll see me quoting more probably than any in the word of God, is found in Genesis 1.26. And God said in the garden, when he made man, let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let them, mankind, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, if you know the word of God, you know that God made man, formed man from the dust of the earth. And when he did that, he stood man up, but the Bible says man was not alive. Man was not a living soul. God, the Bible said, breathed into the nostrils of man, and man became a living soul. So God gave the flesh that had come alive in that garden dominion over the earth. This meant anything that God wanted to carry out on earth, it had to be done through that flesh. When he breathed into man, man came alive. With that life came dominion. See, spirit beings do not have authority on earth. Spirits need a body to operate on earth. Demon spirits cannot do anything on their own. They need a body. It's going to blow your mind when I tell you this. The devil himself is a spirit being. He's an angel, but he's a spirit being. He still needs to manipulate mankind to carry out his will. Now, another thing you need to understand is this. In order for that dominion to happen, and we're going somewhere on, on understanding the war in Bethlehem is going to blow your mind. You cannot leave 
Don't check out now because the end of this teaching is something you have never heard before. And understand, in order for dominion, for you to have dominion here on this earth, there's only one thing that you have to have in your life to have dominion. And that's this, flesh. What's this? You hear that? That's the sound of flesh on flesh. The devil cannot stand it when he hears people clap. That's why the Bible says, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. Why will you shout to God with the voice of triumph? Because if the devil tried to clap his hands, that's where it will sound. See, the Bible says the angels desire to look upon the things of man. They can't understand. Nothing has this except us. And there's only one way that you get this. You have to go through the door. John 10, Jesus is telling us, if any man comes in any other way than the door to this earth, he is a thief and a robber. What is the door to this earth? The womb of your mother. Because the womb of your mother, the only thing that comes through the womb of your mother is flesh. And Jesus understood because of his own law, he had to come through that door. But he could not be tainted by the blood of the sin-cursed blood of Adam that he had himself as God cursed with the sin or as a response to the sin that Adam and Eve had committed in the garden. The bloodline, the seed, was tainted. See, here's where it's going to get a little crazy tonight. Here's going to, where I'm probably going to get some pushback and some of y'all ain't going to know how to handle this. The blood of Adam that came into the body of Adam was very, very special blood. Yes, I know the blood that continued in Adam was tainted. But when it was first put in him, it wasn't tainted. Think about it. Adam and Eve were the only two human beings in history that didn't have a belly button because they, were not, they did not come from the womb. The womb was created within one of them. They came straight from the hands of God. One was fashioned from the hands of God from the dust. One was taken out of man and fashioned around the rib. See, let me show you something pretty powerful here. That's in the Bible. Well, let, me, let me back up and say it this way. Remember what I was saying. And God stood man up and the Bible says man was not a living being. But then God breathed into the nostrils of man and man became a living soul. Now, now watch this because this is important scripture. Uh, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. The blood that pumps through your body is not the life of your spirit. Your spirit man does not need blood, but your body needs blood. So when God breathed into Adam, he breathed his spirit himself. That's what spirit means. Did you know that when it says the Holy Spirit, the word spirit literally is the breath of God, the holy breath of God. And God said, let there be light. You can't speak without breath. 
So God's a triune being, one God, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Man is one man, three parts, spirit, soul, and body. So God breathed of himself into man, spirit. But then in order to make the body that came from the dust that was not a living soul, to live, it needed blood. There was no, there was no one before Adam that Adam came out of a womb. There was no seed to feed Adam his blood. So the blood had to be just like Adam instantly created. Adam was created as a full-size grown man with every organ that would ever exist in a human being operating at perfect capacity and blood pumping through every vein and artery of his body. Where did he get that blood? You see, the blood of Adam was created. The blood of Adam came from a very special place. The blood of Adam was the blood of Jesus. It was perfect. It was untainted. Now, we say all the time, there is nobody perfect. Well, there's no one perfect. Well, except Jesus. Of course, we know Jesus is perfect. But at one point, there was one. His name was Adam. Because, you know, think about it. The Bible says he created all the things, and, the, and he said it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. He made, it man, he made man, he said it's very good. There's no way in this world God created man, and man was not as good of a man as he could possibly be. Here's why I say he was a perfect man. He was created in the image of God, and if the life of the flesh was in the blood, and there was no way for blood to come any other way to him than for it to just be inserted into the body, it was perfect blood. He said, but yeah, that still don't tell me that it was the blood of Jesus. Well, let's go back to the Word of God. The Word of God says in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, verse 8, that Jesus is the lamb slain, look at it, from, from the foundation of the world. Not after, from. Not in the New Testament. Not after man messed up and thought, Jesus said, I got to go, I'll go, I'll, ha I'll handle it. No. This is how powerful our God is. Before he ever said let there be light. The word of God already knew that he would become flesh and dwell among us. Woo. Are y'all okay? Everybody okay? <laughs> In other words, he was declared the lamb that would be slain before anything else. But I'm, serious, I'm, I'm sure you're still wondering why I say that Adam had the blood of Jesus. Well, let's look at another scripture. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, this is talking about Jesus, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. 
so God is saying, Jesus is saying in Hebrews that there was in heaven a body prepared for Jesus. So if the life of the flesh is in the blood and Jesus is going to come and have to fulfill the necessity of flesh to have the dominion, to take back from the devil what he had actually, I started to say stolen, but had tricked man into turning over to him because man was the only one that had the right to give him dominion, the title deed, if you will, to this earth. He had to come back as a man fully in order to defeat the devil. Let us continue. Okay? The Bible says that if the life of the flesh is blood and it was prepared in heaven, then the body of Jesus came directly from heaven, just like Adam. And we say, wait a minute. Adam was created as a full-size human being. Jesus came in a, in the, as a seed over a virgin and was carried for nine months, had to learn how to talk, had to learn how to crawl. I get that. But I'm going to tell you that is a powerful argument for the power of life at conception. These people that don't believe that the baby is alive until the baby is born and cries outside of the womb, no. It tells us right here in Scripture, the Holy Spirit, Mary, shall overshadow you, and you will conceive, and that which is conceived in you shall be the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. The prophecy in the garden was not about a baby or a grown man. The prophecy was a seed, the seed of the woman. And he says, you will bruise the seed of the woman's heel and the seed of the woman will crush your head. Are you hearing me? The blood of Mary did not feed Jesus. Heavenly blood fed Jesus. The difference between Adam and Jesus is Jesus lived a sinless life and the blood was never tainted with sin. That's why the Bible says, he that knew no sin became sin so that we might be saved. Jesus was never married. Don't believe that mess when you hear people talk about that. Jesus was never married, never had any children. Therefore, the perfect blood of Jesus Christ that came from heaven to the womb of Mary went back to heaven with him. You, what? Yes. It was in heaven at the garden. It went into Adam. You don't think God had extra? Okay, it went into Adam. Adam messed up. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Remember what John the Baptist said? Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Hebrews chapter, uh, <coughs> excuse me, the book of Hebrews tells us for it be impossible, for it, it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sins of man. They could only temporarily cover it once a year. But John the Baptist said he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Why? Because his blood was untainted. But when it was time to overshadow Mary, the seed, that little tiny seed, 
had within it the blood of Jesus, perfect and untouched and untainted, and begin to multiply and grow. Now watch this. This is so powerful. Let's look at, let's look, go back to Hebrews chapter nine. Hebrews chapter nine says, not verse 12, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. But with his own blood, he entered the most holy place. Now I'm gonna blow y'all's mind, show y'all how much Easter resurrection and Christmas are tied, okay? Remember when he came back from the dead? Three days later, the tomb was empty. Mary Magdalene walked right past him, thinking he was the gardener. You know that story? And he says, Mary. And she just, oh, she knew his voice. She turned around and tried to touch him. He said, do not touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go tell my disciples in Jerusalem that I am going to my father and then I will come to him, come to them. So she takes off running. And while she's running to tell him, when you study it in context, you'll realize that she did not recognize him because he was dressed in white linen and a white turban. He was dressed as the high priest at Passover when he would take the blood of the lamb with dipped in a hyssop branch to the altar. The difference is now he is the priest forever after the order of Melchizedek but he didn't dip his blood in a hyssop branch. He dipped his blood on Calvary, on a tree, on a cross. And now he had his own blood in his own hands. And we just read to you where Hebrews details exactly what happened between the first ascension and the second ascension. So while Mary's on her way to Jerusalem to tell him that he's alive, he is entering into heaven with his own blood, returning with the same perfect blood that left to go into Mary has now come back in the hands of the full-grown, devil-crushing Messiah, the son of the living God. And he takes the blood and puts it upon the altar of heaven where there is no decay and there is no curse and is as fresh today as it was over 2,000 years ago. The next time we see Jesus in that story, he's telling them, touch my side, touch my hands because he was no longer dressed as the priest. He was as their friend and their savior. Now this may sound like heresy, but Jesus had to come this way. If he would come any other way, he would have made himself to be a liar. That's why the Bible says that Jesus is known not just as the Messiah, but he's also known as the final Adam. Look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not the first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as the heavenly man, so are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. My God, are y'all enjoying this? Is anybody getting anything out of this teaching tonight? I'm almost to the part that's the most important part of the whole night. 
Now watch this. If you haven't smashed that like button, go ahead and smash it now. Smash it, smash it, smash it. Smash the like button. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Watch it on Facebook. Give us some hearts. Give us some love. Give us some thumbs up. Hearts, 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 hearts. And if you are on Facebook, remember, go to YouTube and subscribe because this is the only thing we do on Facebook. Now, he's the final Adam. He's not the second Adam. He's the final Adam. There is no, there's no more need for another replacement. He is the Messiah. Just think of all the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his birth and his life. Well, let's, let's sort of rapid fire him right here real quick. This ought to be cool. Uh-oh, wait a minute. Wrong. Hit the wrong button. Here we go. Watch this right here. The Messiah will be born from the tribe of Judah. Genesis 49, 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. The Messiah will be born. Number two, the Messiah will be born as a direct descendant of a David. Isaiah 11, 1, he shall be a direct descendant of David. Jeremiah 23, 5, behold, the days of the Lord coming, says the Lord, that I will raise up David, a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in all the earth. The Messiah will be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel. The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth of, to me the one to be the ruler of Israel, whose goings forth from, from of old, from everlasting. The Messiah will be celebrated as a child for who he is. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. My God. Is that powerful? I'm talking about that's just a handful of them. That's just a handful of the scriptures that Jesus fulfilled. There are over 60 prophecies, specific prophecies concerning the Messiah in the Old Testament alone that Jesus fulfilled directly. A number of years ago, a man named Peter W. Stoner and Robert C. Newman wrote a book entitled Science Speaks. This book was based on the science of probability and vouched for by the American Scientific Affiliation. It sets out the odds of any one man in all of history fulfilling even only eight of the 60 major prophecies and 270 ramifications of those fulfillments by the life of Christ. The probability that Jesus Christ of Nazareth could have fulfilled even eight such prophecies specifically would be one in 1,000, excuse me, one in one to the 17th power, or one in one quadrillion. What? One in one quadrillion. This is the chance of only one man fulfilling the messianic prophecies found in the Bible. And he uh, only six of them, excuse me, eight of them, eight, eight out of 60 of them, and he fulfilled all 60. Uh, Senate Chaplain Richard Halverson once wrote concerning the believing in, his belief in Christ, 
The fact is the birth, crucifixion, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ are celebrated worldwide by folks of every race, language, and color in every year. In believing in Jesus, they have delivered, they have been delivered the most evil, disastrous, frustrating, debilitating habits and life forms possible. The real problem with Jesus Christ is not that folks can't believe in him, but that they won't believe in him. That is the bottom line fact. Now, I detail, and I don't want to read it all tonight, I detail it all about the blood of Jesus times 10 of what I covered tonight in the short story, The War in Bethlehem. Here's all you have to do to go to the war in Bethlehem is simply go to www.thewarinbethlehem.com. The, make sure you put the the, www.thewarinbethlehem.com. Now, when you go there, this is what you will see. This is a part of my website. A simple black and white text that you can read on your phone or your tablet or your computer. This is what I wrote in 1996, the war in Bethlehem. But I want to read to you tonight the final part of this story that wrecks me to this day every time I read it. It goes like this. This was the greatest war ever fought in the history of eternity until this time. Not only were there things going on in earth, on here in the earth to stop the birth of our Savior of all mankind, but there was an even greater war being fought in the heavenlies. God's angels were fighting the devil's angels by multiplied trillions. I can see it now. Mighty warring angels were fighting with everything they had to stop the demons of hell from getting to this precious woman riding on a donkey. I could hear the angels of God crying out to each other words of encouragement. Hold on just a little while longer and it will be over. The angel looks down through the clouds and sees that someone has given Mary a place to stay. It is just a cave, but it's better than nothing. At least our Lord would not have to be born in the open street. The battle intensifies. It's getting closer. The pains of labor have set in. Mary is breathing and has now begun to cry out in the travail of birth. She didn't think that it would be this hard to give birth to a child who had been conceived by the Holy Ghost himself. Then she realizes that everything that is good comes with a price. Thank God she is not alone. She has the love of her life, Joseph, kneeling next to her, encouraging her the entire way. He could have left her, but he didn't. She has a godly man that is going to stick with her. The pains are now greater in the warfare and the heavenlies is greater as well. All of hell is unleashed for a final barrage of attacks. God's angels are ready. The Father sends reinforcements. The mighty angels such as Michael and the other warring angels are called up to the battle. Down on earth, it's becoming almost unbearable for Mary. She is not only facing the normal pain of childbirth, but she is trying to give birth to a baby that trillions of fallen angels are fighting to kill. Then all of a sudden, Joseph screams, don't give up, I see Jesus. 
Mary is encouraged and gives a final push. At that moment, there is a silence that seems to last to an eternity. The soldiers stopped fighting. Both sides were waiting to see what had just happened. Then in an instance, a sound began to echo in the cave and out of the mountain, through the streets and into the heavenlies. What was that sound? It was the sound of a baby crying, the sound of a child being born, the sound of victory. The battle had been won. Jesus was born. It was at that moment that the Bible tells us an army, stratia, as I told you at the beginning, where we see heavenly host, it actually says an army. It was at that moment the Bible tells us an army of angels, not a choir of angels, began to sing. Soldiers that had been trained to fight, some of them wounded because of the battle, heard the sweet sound of that baby's cry. It was the cry of total victory. What did this battalion sing? Luke tells us, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So do you see that there was more to this story than just a baby being born? It was the victory of a four thousand year war. Wow. Mm. That is the war in Bethlehem. So I encourage you and I challenge you. We're only a few days away from Christmas. Some of you have nativities in your house. Some of you going to look it up, look it online, just find you a nativity somewhere and just look at it. Take a moment and look at it. It didn't look that way. It was not a wood stable. It was probably more than likely a crevice, a small little tiny cutout cave in the side of a mountain, just big enough for a donkey to dip its head and get in out of the weather. It was not designed for humans. It was designed for animals. But inside that simple, no frills, no, nobody was there except Mary, Joseph, and the baby at the beginning and some animals. But it was in that cave, when you look at that nativity and you see the shepherds and you see the star, you see the wise men, even though they didn't come around until later, but you see all those characters, let your eyes go to that little baby. And know that for nine months, the enemy did everything he could do to try to kill Mary because he knew that if he killed Mary, he would kill the baby because it was all about the baby. But inside the womb of that precious young girl was not just the Savior of the world, but the blood of Jesus was inside the body of Jesus that was growing inside her womb. But now Jesus had come through the door. The soldiers, the trillions of angels, good and bad, fighting, warring, spiritual warfare, trying to protect that baby. Everything, I explained in the war in Bethlehem, everything that happens in them having to go to Bethlehem, all of that was a part of 
the enemy trying to expose Mary to the elements, fall off the donkey, something to kill her, to stop this baby from being born. Can you just imagine massive battle scenes like you couldn't even imagine the spirit realm. And all of a sudden, when, when they just, I mean, nothing but the sound of warfare. That's a terrible baby. But imagine the sound of a baby. All of a sudden, silence. Animals, creation, crickets, bugs, everything, silent. The baby crying. All of creation understood. Even though it sounded like a baby in the natural, in the spirit realm, they all knew this is the voice of the one that made all of us. And the soldiers stopped. And Lucifer's fallen angel's head went down. Because that baby sound, crying, was the sound of victory. And that's why the stratia began to, they turned into a choir. Bunch of just warring angels. Glory to God. In the highest, on, on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Sandy and I want to tell you Merry Christmas. And by the way, Christmas Eve night, which is Monday night, we'll still be here. It'll be a shortened show, but we'll be here. Big Picture family, if you can be with us or if not, watch the replay. We're also going to try to have a special Christmas day with you. We love you. God bless you. And remember, at Christmas or any other time, we ain't woke, but you certain, we are certainly awake. Let me know down in the comments what you thought about tonight. God bless you, and we love you. Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Big Picture Podcast. We hope it helped you, encouraged you, and empowered you. Please consider leaving us a review on your app of choice and share with family and friends. And remember, we ain't woke, but we are certainly awake.